There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to A View from the Bullens, in partnership with the Fitzrovia Bell London, our official away day pub for all Evertonians. And fanscapes.co.uk, made by fans for fans. Yeah, the reality is that uh, when you go to any club, the, the manager has a... Uh, always an important opinion. You have to work in the context also that you have a director of football, you have the board, uh, you have the financial restrictions, so a lot of things that you have to put together. Hello and welcome back to A View from the Bullins with me, Mick Kemp, Lee McLean, Ben Winstanley, Paul the Esk, and our special guest today from The Guardian is Ed Arons. Ed, thanks for joining us. Hi guys, how are you? Very well, thank you. Ed, from the media side of things, the media perception, what is the initial thought process behind Everton appointing Rafa Benitez? Well, I think, you know, like probably like most Everton fans, I think we were all a bit surprised when it kind of first came up and, um, you know, it was kind of a sort of, well, I believe it when I see it kind of situation, but he's, you know, he's there and uh, perhaps, he, you know, with despite all of his Liverpool connections, if, if fans can get over that, he might be the right sort of person that Everton need actually, because, you know, he's, he's quite good at working with a, with a smaller budget as he showed, showed at Newcastle and, uh, he, or, you know, despite, as I said, being at Liverpool, he, he does understand what it means to be an Everton fan and what they're trying to, what, what you're trying to get to. So I think it could be quite a shrewd appointment in the end. You, let's see. I know that I know there's a lot of opposition to to it, but mm. you have to give him a chance. And uh, now he's there, and, and and see how he goes. 
Ed, I know, I know you're a Crystal Palace fan and I know Lucien Favre was, was very, very close to being appointed as the new Crystal Palace manager. Everton were interested in Lucien Favre. Do you know how much of an interest there was from Everton's side towards Lucien Favre at all? I, I know that there was, a, there was definitely some interest, uh, but I think I, I get the sense that certain members of the Everton board weren't convinced by, it, you know, by, by Benitez until the very last minute, um, you know, because, of, because of his connections to Liverpool. And so I think that there was quite a few alternative candidates that were touted around, but never quite got there. And I think Favreau fall into that, fell into that bracket. Um, I think he was, you know, by the sounds of it, he's, he was he was pretty tempted by Everton, uh, as well as Crystal Palace, obviously. But he ended up not going to Palace. Um, but yeah, we, there's a little bit of a mystery with what happened with with Palace though, and he, you know, he hasn't resurfaced anywhere. I don't think as yet. But uh, certainly Everton were having a look. But I think that the, the, the feeling for Benitez was pretty strong in, you know, um, at the very top of the club. So that's how it ended up. Mm-hmm. Ben, I'll come to you. Rafa's done his first press conference. Uh, he, he mentioned twice about financial restrictions amongst a few other things. Do you think that's a, almost a warning to Evertonians to say, look, we have a few things going on, a few issues, we're maybe handcuffed here and there? Or do you think it's just Rafa playing safe? Um, I, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Look, we all know the spending over the past few years at Everton has been astronomical and a bit unprofessional really we've kind of just blew a lot of money on players on big wages um, big fees to get them into the club and now we're in a predicament where we can't actually get them out of the club where we're stuck paying their wages over such a long length of contract and obviously we've got Ed on today and we just look at the Yannick Balassi deal £30 million up front and then paying him near enough 100 grand a week for the whole length of his contract which that deal actually costs us probably around £50-60 million and then we let him leave on a free this summer so deals like that have been a bit of a hindrance at the moment and we haven't seemed to have learned. Um, I think Benitez is probably bang on the money. We've talked about it on the Bullens Ballroom, Paul the Esk spoke about it on Twitter um, and obviously the Bobbles spoke about it today on Twitter also. So look, it, these rumours going around that Everton are going to be spending 50, 60, 70 million pounds on players. For example, Kula Bailey, some of the Italian media trying to push it's just not going to happen. And for me, I can see a small net spend, positive net spend, but it's not going to be the 60, 70, 80 million pound spends where we've seen previously in, in different summers because I personally think looking into obviously the, the finances and the money going in and out of the club, obviously that we've talked about previously, financial fair play, the profit and loss sustainability, the Premier League regulations, that this is going to be the summer where we probably will have to to sell players. Um, obviously, we're most keen to power San Germain. We... We don't want another loan deal, which for me was good to hear because it just is literally no positive for anyone. doesn't suit us. We get a player who's only got two, three years left on his contract going out on loan for another year. And then it's easier for PSG to negotiate a fee in their favour. So in that respect, I'm glad that Everton are literally digging their heels in. However, we do need money for the likes of Moise Keane and obviously Power Saint-Germain are interested in we need to start generating fees for them. We've got players such as Bernard, who's getting touted to potentially leaving to Qatar in the Far East to play his football now. Another player on 120 grand a week. Um, he hasn't really excelled at Everton, hasn't really done the business. And But look, he tried his best. It just hasn't worked out. But another deal where we gave him a big signing on fee and put him on astronomical wages for a long fee. So Bernard's another player could potentially see potentially even leaving on a free transfer, Nick, just to get his wages off the books. 
there's there's so many deals like that Evan have done over the past few years that are literally going to be a hindrance in us going forward. Look at the likes of Yeri Mina, he's on another big contract, Andre Gomez, Iwobi, Sigurdsson. The list goes on, Mick, and I feel like this could be the summer now, especially with the COVID regulations coming in, that's going to potentially prevent us from spending big. I know we talked about in the, the Bullens boardroom previously of how this apparent £100 million war chest was coming from. And quite frankly, looking into it further, I don't see us spending big unless we sell, um, which is quite a, a sad state of affairs for us Evertonians because we really want to progress and push on. But you've got to be realistic. You've got to, you've got to wake up and smell the coffee here. We're not going to be blowing all our money out like we have done in previous years. So it is going to be difficult for Rafa. And I think he put across well in his in his in his, obviously, his press conference to the press to basically tell Evertonians, don't get carried away. We can't expect to blow £100 million every single year because it's just, quite frankly, not how a business works and operates. So I feel like Mickey did the right thing by probably playing it down um, and it just gets all Evertonians up to scratch of where we really are. Lee, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of Evertonians are saying, well, Rafa wouldn't have took the Everton job without assurances, but he, he did at Newcastle and, and he, he didn't have much cash there. So do you think Rafa's, like Ben just said there, probably playing safe, trying to probably keep expectations to a minimum for now? Mick, Everton aren't Newcastle um, and the ambitions at Everton are, are far, far greater than the ones at Newcastle. I know the fans think they're a massive club. Um, you know, I, I tend to disagree. And if you look at the, like Ben's just touched upon there, the, the outlay that Everton have um, spent in, in the past five or six years, it's just astronomical and it's resulted in a fan base which expects success quick because people are, are fast losing patience. So when I heard Benitez was taking the job, or indeed anyone taking the Everton job, given the circumstances we find ourselves in, you would have thought that there were, there were assurances there that there was going to be a, a transfer budget in place. But you know, you, you're hearing noises now that and especially, like you say, listening to Benitez's press conference, it sounds like that may not be the case. And that worries me. That really, really does. Um, because if you stand still in the Premier League, you're going, you're going backwards, really. You've got other teams improving. Um, you know, we're stuck with a very, very stale, aging, slow squad um, with questions over a lot of our players' attitudes as well. And the fans are worried because everyone knows if we start the season with this same squad, we're in deep, deep trouble. Um, not of, I'm not going to exaggerate and say we're in trouble of going down because you know I think that's over the top. But finishing top half, I think, would be a struggle with the squad that we've got now. Truly, um, and like Ben said, it's, you know, five six years of really bad decision making, poor management of recruitment. It feels like it's finally caught up with us. But there's another train of thought. Why, why should we stick to the rules? You know, that you've got six clubs there who have just done whatever they please, and nothing has happened. They, they haven't even had a slap on the wrist. You know, they've, they've been to- told to put 10p in a jar. Um, so why should Everton stick to these rules? It, it feels to me a bit like controlled corruption. The rules are, the, are there to protect the Sky Six and keep them where they are and keep clubs like Everton with ambition where they are because we don't generate as, mu- as much money for whatever reason for, for the TV companies. We should go against it. Why not? And see, and see what happens and this might just be I'm, I'm not as clued up on the finances as some of the other people on this podcast I'm just a passionate Evertonian speaking from the heart it just frust- frustrates me when other clubs seem to be able to do what they want notably our neighbours and get away with it mm-hmm. and yet we find ourselves in, in this position now um, but realistically I think it is going to be a tight summer um, and 
its brands and the recruitment team have really, really got to earn the money and wheel and deal a little bit like Del Boy off Only Fools and Horses and try and get you know the best deals possible for some of these players that we need to evidently get out the door on big wages and then look for bargains um, and real value for money signings, which we haven't seen for a while. But we're going to have to just hold on, wait and see what the next few weeks, uh, how, how they play out uh, and just be patient. We've got no other option, have we? Mm. Oh, there's been a lot of a lot of noise today, especially on Twitter, uh, regarding you know people like Denzel Dumfries, but then maybe his wages, and we're trying to move people out to get Dumfries in. Can you shed any any light on where we're at as a football club right now regarding ins and outs? Do we need to relieve some pressure off the wage bill to allow people to come through the door? Where where are we at at the moment? Well, there's so so much to unpack from what people have just said already on this on this podcast. Um, first of all, there's no hundred million pound war chest. Um, that just doesn't it doesn't exist. So, I think I think we we can discount that. There was there was a hope in the club that we would sell um, Moise Keane to PSG before the end of June, which would have allowed us to make a uh, play a trading profit, which would have dropped into the last last year's accounts, which would have made accounts haven't been published yet. They won't be published till December, but it would have made our losses look a little bit better than than they than, than they will do. Um, no, look, we are we're we're in an extraordinarily difficult position. People say COVID hasn't helped. Well, um, the regulations will allow us to extract any co- direct COVID costs from um, from from the losses. The problem that we have is that we have just spent too much money for too many years um, with, without getting the returns. The anticipation was always that if we spent big money in the early years of Mishiri being here that we would get Europa League football as a minimum and quite probably by this time, um, Champions League football. I mean, if you go back to November November 2016, uh, Ronald Koeman was on BBC talking about by the third year, which would have been 2019, we'd be having Champions League football at Goodison. So we spent on the basis that we were going to earn 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 million pound a year by being in the Champions League. And of course, we've not done that. The problem that we have now is that in a sort of post-COVID environment, the market for buying and selling players is very different than we could ever have anticipated. That's not the club's fault, but it's just a fact. Um, And we've got a load of people who are either not worth what we paid for or they're on contracts that they're never, ever going to get elsewhere. Some players are on uh, career-high contracts at Everton and they're just not going to move, regardless of how cheaply we want to sell them. They're just not going to move unless they, the buying club matches the contracts that they're on. Um, and frankly, that's not, you know, we, we had that problem last year uh, and it, and it hasn't, hasn't worked. Uh, I tweeted earlier today since January, 2020, I know COVID has impacted it, but we've, you know, we've generated 4 million pounds in sales of players. And that's because the players that we have offered to the market, there was a report in the Telegraph, wasn't there today, about X number of players being offered to the market. Well, those players, whether they're offered or not, are unlikely to move because the buying club is unlikely to um, to pay the, their contract demands. So we're, we're, in, we're in a really difficult position. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't that excited about Benitez coming to us more, more because of the style of football that he plays. I'm not really bothered about the fact that he once managed Liverpool. It's so long ago, it really doesn't matter. Um, but I, I see Benitez as the continuity uh, 
or he was the continuity candidate. He's now the continuity manager. Um, and he probably, out of the people that we looked at and the people that would even consider coming to Everton at this stage, is the one manager that can get something out of the squad that we've got. And I'm, pre I'm pretty certain in my own mind that his and Mashiri wanting to select him was predicated on the, on the idea that we're not likely to make many major changes to our squad over the summer. Uh, that's probably not what Evertonians want to hear, but that's probably closer to the reality than most, most of that's in the media at this moment in time. Mm. Ed, being post-COVID or, or still during a pandemic, so to speak, how difficult is it at the moment, you know, looking at the, the wider scale for football clubs to try and get transfers done? Because at the moment, it's been a very slow window, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's, and it's really, you know, there's not much time left now because everything's just so concertina together, isn't it? Because of all the, the COVID problems and the end of last season and the Euros. And, you know, we've got a matter of weeks, you know, Everton, Palace and Tottenham in similar boat, aren't they? You know, just had a new manager coming in and he's, he's got like three, four weeks before the actual first game, let alone, you know, training's already started, doesn't it? For, for them, for, for the ones who weren't in tournaments. So, mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's it's just going to be really, really frantic in the next few weeks uh, because everybody's really been been waiting. I was, it was noticeable, actually, I thought during the Euros that there was hardly any transfers actually completed. There was a lot of talk. You know, even Jadon Sancho, I don't think I was right in saying this at the time we're talking, it hasn't actually been completed yet. Things have just taken a bit of time. Agreements have been struck. But, you know, back in the... Uh, I think I remember um, when Jordan Pickford signed for Everton, it was in the middle of the uh, the under twenty one Euros, which I was covering covering out in Poland, and that was just done done really quickly, bef just before the tournament got serious. But there's not that kind of window now, uh, just because of COVID. I think it's pushed everything up together, and there's no there's just no time. And um, yeah, and the manager situation, as I said, didn't, hasn't helped because you know they've they've come into a new place and presumably will have their own targets uh, to go for. And and, and Benitez, says, you know, he's He'll come in. I'm sure he he'd have spoken about that before he got the job as well. But everyone's in the same boat, and it's just really, really frantic out there. Mm. Ed, what what stage of a transfer are the media, you know, briefed so to speak by a football club or, or by an agent? You know, at the moment, obviously, there'll be a lot of Evertonians listening to this and thinking there's not a lot of noise coming out of Everton Football Club or you know the so-called trusted journos or or the trusted yeah. in the know, shall we say? There's not a lot of noise. At what point does it normally? get to your lap and then you people like yourself then start to talk about it well it depends to be honest it really depends on like uh, it, it can be down to luck you know it, it from my point of view i get i have to tell you i i get a lot of information from agents uh because often the from the from the clubs you know it's quite late to that only a lot of clubs won't especially everton i've found in the past have really don't want to brief very much but you know i don't know that many people at everton as some other journalists probably do you know it depends on who you know and where you know but yeah, sometimes you can find that you find out stuff and you realise that you're actually quite far up the chain of information sometimes. And then other times you realise that you're quite far down it. So it really depends. I don't know. It, it depends on your sources at certain clubs and, you know, certain agents as well. Because sometimes you can not know anything about a club, but, you know, and suddenly someone you know has got a player that's going to that club and you're all over it, you know. So it's kind of, it depends really. But um, yeah, it's becoming, also I have to say, you know, it's becoming much more difficult to know who is actually acting for who because you know talking about the Favre case earlier there was quite a few agents working for him 
on that. Uh, you know, trying to there's one agent I think he was trying to trying to get him to Everton and one trying to get him to Palace, and one trying to get him to to Lille and various other places. So it's it's become a bit more even more of a wild west, I'd say, out there because it's just you know agents desperate to to make their commissions, I suppose, and it's mm. ever more lucrative. Mm. Like, Everton fans, you know, we, we kind of roughly know that, you know, Denzel Dumfries, for example, Ed was, he had a meeting with Everton Football Club earlier this week in regards to a move from PSV Eindhoven. How how complex are these sort of transfers? You know, he's coming off the back of a very, very good Euros. He's probably got a number of clubs mildly interested. He's had a meeting with Everton. How complex are they? Well, it, it depends. It can be, it can, again, it can be quite easy, but I imagine with him, yeah, you're talking about something quite complicated. Because you'd have thought that I mean he was I absolutely loved watching him in the in the Euros. He was my uh, definitely my player of the of the group stages. He really really like stood out for them, didn't he? On the right hand side, um, scoring goals, setting goals up. So I'd imagine that he'd have quite a lot of people going in for him. But yeah, again, it it depends on who. I don't know much about his his situation, but uh, although just looking, it looks like his agent is a certain Mila Raiola. So it might be quite difficult to get him for on the cheap but you know it's he's one of those agents doesn't really mess around I suppose if he, he if the player wants to to go somewhere and also you have a relationship with him don't you with uh, with Moise Keane so there's probably a good chance that, that might that, that it could happen that, that's often how it works with these transfers you know if certain agents have a good relationship with clubs then they can favour them or you know or, you know or help to grease the wheels a little bit more to get a, a certain player to go somewhere you know Ben, moving over to you, you know, the complexity of transfers during a pandemic, they are very difficult, as you know, you know, it's very difficult to fly potential players into potential countries and so on. It's, it is really difficult for football clubs and at Everton, it's, it's no different, isn't it? Yeah, Ed's hit the nail on the head there, to be fair. Um, a transfer even before COVID is quite obviously complex and difficult and the initial interest, the contact, you go through your agents, then your meetings come about and your personal terms, then your fee. It's, it's a long-winded process and I know a lot of, probably a lot of talks and people we've been talking to and targets potentially for the summer, we've probably been interested in for a number of months. Um, I know obviously with Denzel Dumfries, there was a lot of interest pre the Euro 2020 and by all accounts, PSV have kind of took a gamble with that um, and decided to let him go to the Euros to see if he got any minutes, which he did. And he performed really, really well. Um, and I think a lot of Evertonians got excited. And I was one of your uh, your blues that went, oh, there's our chance gone. He's just shown us all up. But no, it looks like talks are potentially progressing and looks looks good. But you, you talk about COVID, obviously, at the, as it stands any player coming in obviously to the UK has to quarantine for 10 days so clubs obviously utilised a lot of like the video technology to do like meetings around obviously Finch Farm showing probably Bramley Moor the potential proposal for a new stadium this is where you could be playing in a few years and then you've got the task of obviously approaching as Ed quite rightly said is Raiola and Look, he brought Moist Keane to the club at the time and by all accounts he's not really happy our kind of like digging our heels in regarding them going to PSG and feels like we give him a bit of a disservice, give his clients a disservice when we didn't really get many minutes. But look, it was up down to the manager at the time and he picked the team to obviously go out and win the match going forward. So the, the, the Dumfries links, as soon as he comes into the country, he'll have to quarantine. Um, then you've got your medicals um, and then obviously it's paperwork time. And then as Fabrizio says, here we go. So it, it's a long-winded process, even obviously in advanced stages. It can take up to a a couple of weeks but look there's only 30 days left of the transfer window and 
as Paul has quite rightly said, we've got a lot of people to get out of this club and Marcel Brands has to really earn his coin going forward because I do feel like Everton needs to get more people out the door than in. We all know we need a right back. We all know we need a right winger. We all know we need a, a, a striker and obviously centre midfielder and even a, a backup goalkeeper. Like the list is quite big that we need and obviously the, the links to Begovic today on a free transfer, that's no surprise. Obviously we spoke before that Roma wanted a, a loan fee for Robin Olsen and I really feel that we're trying to keep all our pennies tight and if we can get Asmir Begovic on a free transfer and a two-year deal, there's your number two for the next two years with not much outlay and I feel like this this year, this summer, could we could see a lot more of these deals to try and fill these positions on low fees but for me, the right back needs to get done and we need to try and get Dumfries done as soon as possible because it's no surprise that he, he does want European football. He does. However, some of the clubs around Europe, especially the likes of Inter Milan, can't afford to pay out the money to, to bring him in. So they're looking at like your Hector Bellerin's on loan with an obligation or um, to buy next summer where potentially he can create some revenue with player sales for next year's accounts. So all clubs around the Europe and probably around the world are getting hit with the COVID pandemic and money in and money out. And they're trying to come up with ways of tackling this. So Everton is no difference. It really, really isn't. But obviously you've got on top of that probably overspending. So we've, like, like Paul quite rightly said earlier, we've, we took a bit of a risk of achieving Champions League football, which hasn't quite paid off. And we're now paying the consequences going forward. So yeah, any transfer is going to be long-winded. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, which probably potentially they do a few years back. There could be initial contact. We're interested. Agent gets done, speaks to both clubs and your payment's done. Personal terms agreed, medical time and it's all done. But COVID's just delaying the inevitable now for, for an additional few weeks. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting next month, Mick. I expect it to be busy around Everton, be a lot in the media. So hopefully we can get it right. But Marshall Brands needs to earn his money now. You say that, but you know, Le- Leicester has signed uh, what Sumare, and they signed it. Was it Patson Dacher? Um, Leeds have signed, haven't Leeds signed somebody from Barcelona? Aston Villa signed, um, made a couple of signings. It's possible to do it. It's not. It's not impossible uh, to have made transfers at this stage. The, the, I think the problem Everton have is that the players that they want were probably in competition for with similar clubs, you know, the type of clubs that might just qualify for Europe on in a good season. And there's, you know, probably half a dozen of those clubs dotted around Europe that can place pay similar similar wages. So we've got greater competitive pressures. The other point to think about the agents and the players themselves is that there's actually no incentive for them to do business early because uh we, one of the effects of a transfer window is the prices go up towards the end of the window because clubs start to get desperate. And if I was an agent or if I was a player and I had a choice of clubs to move to, what's the incentive for me to move early? Sorry, silence there. <laughs> I'm, waiting for ben to, I'm waiting for Ben to come back. Oh, sorry, Paul. I was just enjoying listening to you. I always enjoy listening to you talk. But, but, but yeah, you're Bob on there, to be fair. Obviously, the agent wants the best deal for them as well. It's not just the player involved, isn't it? So they want to make the most money from their clients. And I'm pretty sure Everton will probably get desperate in the next month or so, especially with sales and people coming into the club. So it's a, it's a definite valid point. And I'd probably do the same if I had a client who was in, obviously different clubs were interested in them. I'd hold them back to the very last minute and then it's decide. Double, I think it's a double-edged sword with the agent because obviously they um, they live off transactions. So the, the more transactions there are on the market, the more revenues they generate because it's generally fee and commission based. Um, 
But having said that, I stick by my point that um, you don't actually sell anybody until you absolutely have to. And if there's another four weeks left in the window, um, why would you do it now and not do it in three weeks' time when everybody's panicking? Mm. Well, one player, Lee, that seems to be digging his heels in at Everton Football Club is Thierry Small. He's... <laughs> He's trying to negotiate a contract with Everton Football Club, but he's also got a lot of suitors. Aston Villa have now been linked with him, and, as, as, and Real Madrid have actually been linked with him as well. So Thierry Smalley, he didn't turn up for pre-season at Everton for the first week. He's 17 August the 1st. Where do you sit on this one? Mm, it's a tough one, isn't it? We, we spoke about this last season. I mean, what are the facts? Realistically, you've got Luca Dean in front of you. You know, France's first choice left-back and an absolutely outstanding player. You know, possibly... You know, some would argue the best left back in the Premier League. So, just how much playing time is he going to get? And you know, at seventeen, for me, you know, I, I don't know if you can be expecting, especially as a defender. Maybe, maybe he's a little bit different as a striker. You know, you've seen some kids burst onto the scene, Wayne Rooney being the main example at that age and can make an impact. But as a left back at seventeen, you know, are are you experienced enough to? do yourself justice week in, week out with, with that level of demand and physicality in the opponents that, you've, that, that you're going to be facing. I'm, I'm not too sure. So I don't know whether his expectations are a little bit too high. Um, and the fact that he's not turned up for the first week of pre-season training, again, that, that doesn't seem right to me. It smacks of unprofessionalism. You know, and again, at that age, you know, regardless of the fact that you might be wanting to seek first-team football elsewhere, you'd still expect a player to apply themselves properly and be professional and, and turn up as they're contracted to do, um, you know, at training. So I don't know. It, it just seems to me like it's one Everton may need to cut the losses on um, and it might be best for all parties if Thierry Small moves on because you've also got to factor in Niles and Kunku as well, who, who's a great player. Um, and for me, our second choice, left back. Um, but again, he's going to want first team football and more opportunities this year um, so it's a difficult one because you're trying to keep three players happy and three really really good players um, albeit at different stages of the career so it, again it's a tough one but this is again where the club have got to be you know we can't make these decisions unfortunately the club have got to make them and you know it's sometimes it is a bit of a gamble but we just need to hope we come out of this particular decision on the right side of it And but at the end, but at the end of the day if we, if we were to let Thierry Small go out to the door are we also going to be expected to command any sort of significant fee for him and that's what we need if we're going to want to be reinvesting it into other areas of the of the first team that perhaps need more surgery on it so it's a tough one Mick but at this point of view to push me either way I wouldn't expect to see him here uh, at the start of the season I think he'll go Paul where do you sit on this one with Thierry Smallies like I say 17 August the 1st Everton are trying to negotiate some sort of contract for him but he He's digging his heels in and he, he's from Solihull and by all accounts, his dad's not too fussed about whether he stays at Everton or not. So what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, obviously, I am an Evertonian, but I don't want to sound like want to sound totally negative about the club all the time. Um, I think he's probably looking at his development opportunities through our academy and comparing that to the development opportunities elsewhere and thinking... Um, he's possibly better served being somewhere else, either that or, or his advisors, maybe his dad or somebody else, is, is, is making that point. And that's a, 
as a sad reflection on what's happened in the academy over many, many years at Goodison. Ben, Thierry Small, and a lot of fans are kind of split on this one. A lot of Everton fans want to keep him. A lot of Everton are saying, you know what, he's 16, 17, and he has no right to, to bark orders at us just yet. What are your thoughts? Do you know what I will say? I do feel like there's a bit of a failure within the under-23 model at the moment because there's not enough players coming through the youth that are breaking into the first team. And to be fair, if you're a player looking forward to trying to get first-team opportunities, it's just not happening. It's all well and good being Premier League champions of the under-23s, but none of the players are pushing to get into the first team. And you look at like your different models. I know, obviously, Paul mentioned, obviously, Leicester before. Um, just look at them. you obviously got Ben Showell coming right through the ranks. And he obviously generated £50, £60 million pounds off Chelsea, which therefore leads them to have a bit more of a profit and loss accounts to obviously spend early, get deals done, get get the deals in obviously and they're not going to be breaching any sorts of regulations imposed by the Premier League so I can't, I can't really think we've obviously had Tom Davis Ross Barkley a few others have like been there or thereabouts but we haven't seen for a long time a young player getting coached and to them think yeah you're going to push on to the first team because look Thierry Small will want to be a Premier League footballer he's got serious talents he's lightning quick and he's a really solid left back and Obviously, I know we'll speak his name, but Ancelotti was apparently quite a big fan, obviously touted at Real Madrid that he'd have him back tomorrow. So why isn't he getting them opportunities? Why isn't he getting coming to the to the first team? Why isn't like the likes of David Unsworth pushing him forward saying he should be in the first team model, this and that? Because for me, we're not going anywhere and the under 23 is a stale. You've got to look at obviously how well Alice Sims did last year at Blackpool. He went away out on loan and performed really, really well. Now, if you're a championship club, for example, and you've seen that, you could potentially inquire about Ellis Sims and see if he's available for, for some sort of fee or a loan. And if he performs well, then you get like a really good business model going forward, obviously promoting and developing youth, which would save us money in the long run. But it's just not happening at Everett at the moment. But I don't know what your thoughts on that is, Mick, but I just don't think it's working at the moment. Ed, what, I know you have a very close connection to Crystal Palace. What's it like at Crystal Palace, the under-23s? Is their model... You know, we just get players ready for the first team. Do they want to compete at the under-23 level? Because at Everton, it's, people are not happy, basically. Yeah, well, I can, I can sympathise with that because that's really what you want to see, isn't it, as a club? You want to see people, not necessarily from your local area, but ideally from the local area, really, coming through and representing you on the pitch for the first team. And at Palace, the, you know, everyone uh, kind of thinks that Palace have got a great academy because of Zahar, I suppose. Uh, but actually, you know, until uh, until Wan Bissaka, uh, there's a big gap, and I think there was nobody actually nobody actually played a Premier League game or started a Premier League game actually for Palace as a graduate. So you know there was a big gap there, and now they're they're really trying to make amends for that now. Though, and actually, funnily enough, you just the timing of this question is quite good because they've just appointed this guy uh, Said Agun, who's quite really uh, highly rated coach. He was at PSG um, in their youth teams, um, and they've you know obviously produced some amazing players. Uh, he's just been brought in as as development coach by Patrick Vieira, um, and so yeah, Palace have also just had their uh, category one status as an academy, having you know been down in the lower ends, uh, which was probably a reason that they didn't produce as many players as they should, given that you know the catchment area is great, lots of lots of talent in this in the South London area. So um, yeah, I think the hopes are high now to try and get a few more into the first team. We had Tyrick Mitchell who looks like he's going to be our first-choice left-back uh, this season with Van Arnholt leaving. 
Um, and then obviously Wan Bissaka. I think that's that's the key. You have to have one real success, and then you know that the owners really see the 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 well they, in financial terms. That's the only way some don't, what what some owners understand. But you know, getting forty five million for a player who played a one full season brilliantly. But you know, that's just such a great return, isn't it? For somebody that you just bring through your academy. So I think it's really important, even in these you know these times of spending you know millions and millions of pounds on players and wages um it's even more important actually to bring through young players so yeah i think everton should be looking to go down that route because you know merseyside you've got such great um great pool of talent there as well as you know always been one of the best in the country hasn't it so uh try and take advantage of that Ed, Ed, what I will say on Crystal Palace, I feel like that they've uh, they've kind of turned the corner. You look at Ebrelese, I think he's a brilliant signing. Obviously, just signed Michael Elise as well. And he was a player that I've, obviously I quite enjoy watching championship football and seeing the people coming through. And it's quite refreshing to see a club like Palace going out and actually taking a risk and a gamble on this youth. Because you look at Eze now and you're going to make an immediate profit. And I wish sometimes Everton and some other clubs would potentially take the gamble. But I think that obviously Elise and Eze are going to be brilliant signings for Palace, obviously going forward and really exciting. And you're not going to lose out on them long term, especially getting Elise for £8 million. I think it's a really shrewd signing by Palace. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, this, to be honest, most Palace fans will agree with me. I think we're very nervous about everything because... The way that they've done it so far, you know, it's a, being in the Premier League, we've never been in the Premier League this long. Um, but the way they've done it so far has been, you know, spending money on wages, really. I think it was the ninth highest wage bill uh, last season and the season before. But now a lot, quite a lot of the big earners have, have left. And there's, uh, you know, this was the plan. Obviously, we had 12 players that were out of contracts and I think only a couple have signed new deals now. So there's a lot of money available for, for wages and it's, yeah, they have to take this risk. They have to go for it. And it's good. Yeah, it's very encouraging because it's what, you know, everybody wants to see a young team playing good football. But, you know, the risk is that, you know, <laughs> if things go wrong, we, we're still sort of burned by the Frank the Boar experience four years ago when we had to get Roy Hodgson in to dig us out of the, out of the rubbish. So, you know, uh, it could easily turn sour and then you, you'd imagine that the young players get kept on the bench and, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, hopefully... Given a you know, given a solid platform, um, players like Elise could be really good. And, and Eze, unfortunately, is out for for the first half of the season, at least with, with his uh, Achilles injury. So, uh, sorry, a knee injury he's got, hasn't he? Sorry, a knee injury. So, um, yeah, it's, it, sooner he comes back, the better, really. Mm. Ed, what's the what's the expectations of Everton, especially down in London, like yourself, or, or with, amongst the media? Now, Rafa's in charge. Are the the expectations high? Well, I was just thinking about this time last season when Carlo Ancelotti came in and it was kind of everybody sort of thought Everton was going to, you know, we're going to be the team that really broke into the top six and everyone kind of forgot about Leicester as usual and, you know, and it ended up being the same as the season before, though obviously they didn't make it to the Champions League. So I think it should suit Everton really to be a little bit under the radar this time and that's probably what you'll be this season. People will say, oh, they haven't spent the money this year and, you know. But actually, I think there's quite a lot of good players at Everton uh, you know, they've assembled some really good players. It's just a matter of trying to gel them into the right into the right side. And it's last season, you know, your away record was pretty strong, wasn't it? And it's just at home that you you lost a few of the games that you really shouldn't have lost. You know, at least picking up a lot more points at home, you could have you could have actually achieved what they were what, what you were trying to achieve. So mm. probably not actually as far away as some you know fans would like to think. And with a few smart signings and you know uh, organization of the team, which is what Benitez could do, you know. 
you saw what West Ham did last season. There's no reason why Everton can, can do something like that. Mm. Paul, moving away from expectations and this summer, what are you anticipating? I don't want to put you on the spot, but <laughs> are you expecting one in, one out or one in and then maybe two out? What should Everton fans now be expecting? I really can't put a number on it, to be honest. Um, whatever, whoever we bring in has to be predicated by at least one significant sale, I think, uh, both in terms of cash flow, but also obviously in terms of uh, uh, profitability. So um, I think we will be driven by who, who we can get out of the door. Moise Keane is the, is the obvious uh, player to go um, and probably the one, although we'd like to keep him, for the long term, the one player that has minimal impact on leaving in in, in the short term, uh, he would also provide a little bit of profit, as I said, as I said earlier. Uh, outside of that, then really, if you look through our squad, you're then starting to look at players that perhaps we wouldn't, well, not perhaps players that we wouldn't want to wouldn't want to lose. So, like a Richarlison, for example. Um, but it will be it will be driven by who we can get off the books rather than uh, who actually we, we we want to bring in tomorrow. I think the other point I wanted to, sorry, just to raise was when talking about the academies and stuff. There will come a point when clubs will start to think about the cost of academies and whether or not um, they're productive enough. So if you take Everton, for example, I calculated that uh, to get it, to get a, um, a player into the first team squad costs somewhere between five and eight million pound. Um, somebody at some point is going to say, is it worth spending that amount of money uh, through the academy? Why don't we just improve our scouting and buy from the, from the lower leagues, particularly in a, in a post-Brexit environment where clearly if we're, if, you know, if we're buying underdeveloped talent, they, they, they will have to be British. So, um, I think that's an interesting question that some clubs are going to start asking themselves. Um, I hear exactly what Ed's saying about Crystal Palace, and, and they've done a fantastic job in developing their academy. Um, but I think for those that haven't succeeded, it's you know boardrooms are going to start asking those questions. Mm. And there we go, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in as always. Ed, thanks for joining us. Paul, Ben, and Lee. No worries. Sorry. Sorry. Thanks, thanks a lot. Sorry. I was trying to find my mute button. Oh, You're a world away. A world away. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was there. I was just on a different. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Point. It was really good. Thank you very much. Cheers, Ed. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah. Thanks, that. all. Take care and all the very best. Thank you. Cheers.